What's up and welcome to Sox Talk. I'm your host, Ian Vicera, and I'm joined by my co-host, my pal, the one and only Xander Montano. Zan, how you doing? I'm great, Ian. So happy to be here. I'm very happy to be here, too, for our inaugural episode of Sox Talk. And we're just here to, you know, bask in that win over the Yankees in the LDS. And now, preview the series against Houston. ALCS, going to be a tough one. It is, yeah. It's going to be a tough, tough go for the Red Sox in that bullpen. Yeah, it is. And Zan, I don't know about you, but I'm finally excited to be doing this. I know. It, I feel like we, we've tried to get this going for a couple months, I feel like. And we just finally got it going, so. Yeah, basically the whole baseball season, even before then, because... We actually recorded a test episode back yeah. in March. I think we have a couple test episodes. We have a bunch of test episodes. <laughs> yeah. But our most recent test episode was in March. And, we, and I remember, because I was going back listening to it the other day, actually, and we were saying, who the heck is Bobby Pointer? Yeah. And yeah. lo and behold, he contributed this year. But Look at Bobby Pointer. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's how long we've been trying to get this thing going. Back then, we didn't even know who Bobby Pointer was. And now we know about the man, the myth, the legend himself. We might have recorded episodes before JD was even on the team. That we did. We I did think it we, yeah. last October and November. Yep. We had episodes. JD wasn't even a thought. We were just concerned with uh, the Astros last year, actually. Yep. Yeah, JD was a pipeline dream at that point. <laughs> yeah. A three-hole hitter who could hit home runs? Amazing. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. I'd say it worked out pretty well for him. I'd say it worked out very well, yeah, especially for the Red Sox, and now I got this guy in a contract, and I mean, we got to go into Houston, but uh, they did work against the Yankees, didn't they? Mm-hmm. That they did. And before we get into that Yankees series recap and the Houston preview, we'll just give you a little rundown about what we're trying to do here on Sox Talk, the best Red Sox podcast around, produced by two little college kids over here. <laughs> yeah. So basically, it's just going to be half hour to 45-minute show. We're going to probably do it once a week, maybe twice a week in the playoffs. Depends on, you know, what the, the listeners want, because we've got to produce for the listeners. Absolutely. That's what we're here for. That we want to put out the content that people want to listen to. Of course. And so, I don't know about you, Zan, but I'm not coming in here with any super flaming hot takes. I'm just coming in yeah. here to talk some good baseball, get some good analysis out there. You know, kind of stay away from that mainstream media of hot take, hot take, hot take. Yeah, I don't think that's our goal. We don't want to come in here and try to blow your minds with these crazy theories that will never work. We just want to talk quality baseball, what we see, what's going on. and how We, just, we love the Red Sox. It's two guys who love the Red Sox. What more can you ask for? Yeah, I know. All right, Zan, let's get to it. That Yankee series, Sox went in there. Both of us said on our radio show here at the college on 91.3 WSHL, Stone Hill College Radio, that we both said that the Sox would beat the Yankees in four games. That's exactly what they did. Maybe not the way we drew it up, right. but they did it. Yeah. What did you like out of that series? Uh, I, I like the grit. You know, I liked how they won that first game at home. They lose the second game at home, but they then they go into Yankee Stadium and they're just able to pull out two good games there. And they're able to beat the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. So I like the grit of the team, especially in, in game two where you looked at that bullpen and you said, oh boy, here we go. And they were just able to find a way to win. And that's how good teams do it when your back's against the wall. Not that their back was against the wall, but they came off a pretty bad start and just find a way to grind out victories. So Yeah, going really off like that. that. It really felt like their back was against the wall, which is the strangest thing ever. Yeah. You're a 108-win team. <laughs> you have basically everything going for you in that series. But yet, for some reason, you know, it felt like going into Yankee Stadium for Game 3, and deservedly so. That's the 100-win ball club over there. They're a good squad, no doubt. Right. I mean, clearly just not as good as the Red Sox. Obviously, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, backs up against the wall, because if you lose that next game, the pressure's on in Game 4. And you know Yankee Stadium is going to be very loud, and the fans will be into it, the players will be into it. And frankly, up until this point, we hadn't seen that Red Sox team do it in the playoffs yet with this 
current core of guys like JBJ yeah. and Betts and Bogarts. And I think that was a good test because during the regular season, they came up against some games where they would have to score nine runs in the seventh inning, you know, and they would have to face some adversity, but it's a totally different animal in the playoffs, especially when you're at Yankee Stadium against a 100-win team against the New York Yankees when, you know, you come off adversity in Game 2 at home at Fenway, and then you can go into Yankee Stadium and win, like you said, backs against the wall. I mean, that shows you that this team in the playoffs, they're for real. They're a good contender. Yeah, I think so, for sure. And one thing that really stuck out to me in that series was I thought the bullpen was pretty good. You know, it wasn't phenomenal. Overall, Overall, it was pretty good, and it got done what you needed to get done. Yeah. And this was kind of my whole philosophy coming into the playoffs, right, was so... You're not going to feel probably comfortable about any of these guys throwing, except for Kimbrell, but we'll get into him in a little bit, how he really wasn't reliable at all in that series. But you're going to feel maybe not the best about it, but more often than not, like they kind of did in the regular season, the guys got it done. And so really what stuck out to me was the fact that, so in those four games, the bullpen had a 3.71 ERA. Not terrible, not great, not great. but serviceable. When you have an offense that's this good, yeah, you can get away with that. And really what impressed me are those middle-of-the-pack guys because those are going to be the guys that are going to have to separate and really make their claim in the postseason. And I thought first and foremost, the two and the thirds that the Red Sox got out of Joe Kelly following the David Price fiasco, yeah. huge. If he's throwing strikes in the playoffs, you know, that's a huge weapon to have out of the bullpen. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, no, I, I totally agree with you. And, and like you said, but I think that we're kind of overshadowing a bigger problem here, even though Joe Kelly, like, that's phenomenal that he pitched well, but he only had to do that because of how poor David Price was, mm-hmm. which I think we'll touch on after, but I think you want to keep going on the um, the bullpen here. Yeah, and so just another thing I liked, right, was the way after a shaky outing overall for the bullpen in Game 1, in Game 2 and 3 and 4, they are really able to come back. So, right, like, in Game 1, Ryan Brazier, not very good, but then, you know, next time out there, Gary Sanchez, he's telling him, Get the F back in the box. Yeah, yeah. And those are the kind of balls and grit that you're going to need out of your relievers. Yeah. You know, whether you actually can back it up or not, you're going to need that toughness to think you can have that warrior-like mentality. And I think that's just going to prove huge for them in the long run. Yeah, half the battle is the confidence. If if you don't have the confidence to be standing on the mound with Gary Sanchez up there and telling him to get the F back in the box, I mean, why are you there? You know, this is the playoffs. You gotta want to pitch to people like that. You wanna, you gotta want to go at them, attack them with strikes, hit them with pitches they're not expecting, and and cause problems for them. It's not like you can take a back seat to these guys and think, oh, well, if I throw a 95 mile an hour on the inside portion of the play, they're gonna, you know, turn their hips for a home run. Like you gotta go at these guys, mm-hmm. and and that's a confidence that, especially in the playoffs, that you want to see from a guy like that. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. And so, Zan, you mentioned David Price. He didn't do so well, but two of the starters who did pretty well and I was really pleased with, another one of my keys to that series was the way Rick Porcello pitched Mm. in his start as well as out of the bullpen. And then also, Evaldi in Game 3. Huge. That's exactly the start the Red Sox needed. And that's why they got that guy. Yeah, Evaldi in Game 3 was unbelievable. Um, I have his, uh, his Ks per nine inning here, and it is 6.43. I mean, in one playoff start. That's pretty good. And then I don't know how many hits he gave up. I think it was uh, five hits. That's unbelievable against a Yankees team like that that just mashes the ball. No home runs. He had a couple scares maybe, but great performance. Yeah, for the most part, he cruised in that game, and that's exactly what you needed to see if you were the Red Sox. I mean, you got seven innings out of the guy. Yeah. You weren't expecting, honestly, probably seven innings out of any of your starters, just given the way you you have to look at Chris Sale's health. David Price's past 
playoff troubles, even Rick Porcello's of his own right. playoff troubles. Yeah. So it was nice to see that in that first start of Aldi, a team that he's fared well against in this past regular season, nice to see that really translate over into the playoffs. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And that's something because coming into this series, especially after last year, what happened with the Astros where it almost seemed like none of our starting pitchers could get through four innings to just have a guy that went into Yankee Stadium and just pitched lights out against a pretty good hitting ball club, that's definitely what you want to see if you're the Red Sox. Because it gives, it gives him confidence going forward now, too, against the Astros. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. All right, Sam. So we like the bullpen for the most part. Yep. We like the two starts that the Sox got from Evaldi and Porcello. What else did you like in that series? I like J.D. Martinez. I like J.D. Martinez a lot. Um, I was actually looking up before we started the show here, and David Ortiz I had a 6.7 war in 2013 when they won. J.D.'s at 6.8. So he's contributing. If, if you thought Ortiz was good, J.D. is just as good as Ortiz was, especially on the contribution side of things. I, that's This is what we missed last year, and I think we kind of talked about this in our test episodes that didn't get put on, but I'll say it again. It's so big when you have that guy in the lineup that pitchers need to think about. You know, how do I pitch around this guy? And they're just they're focused on this one guy, and it, lets, it opens up uh, pitches for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think JD's, you know, the contributions he's made just numbers-wise have been great. And then just his approach to the game, what he's taught the rest of his team, yeah. you know, showing the rest of the guys in the lineup, you know, if you want to be great, you have to put in the work. Whether he's out there filming batting practice with the iPad and going through all, you know, the saber metrics, the launch angle, the everything that it happens, I think it's just huge that JD's into that because it really rubs off on other people, kind of similarly to the way Ortiz did. Maybe Ortiz, you know, kind of what rubbed off with him was the fact that, you know, he's Big Poppy, the large yeah. father. Yeah. He just has that presence. If he's talking, hitting, you're going to listen. Whereas more JD's the analytical side of things, but again, two ways to get the same you know kind of results. And the work he puts in, it's not just like he's watching film, oh whatever, you know. But he, you'll see him after a, if he strikes out. First of all, he's pissed as all hell, and second of all, he's got that notebook where he just records things, and he's just a student of the game, constantly learning and teaching other players, and that's what you love to see. Mm-hmm. Love to see it. Love to see it. Absolutely. We are huge love to see it, guys over here. <laughs> On Sox Talk, of course. All right, Zan, another thing I want to touch upon is that I really liked in the series was the infield platoons for the Red Sox. Yeah. Not very often you see a team win 100 games, right? Right. And not very often with a team with, you know, that won 100 games, that three out of the four infield positions really don't have a definitive starter. I yeah. Mean, like, sure, you could say that for the most part at this point, Nunez is starting at third, Kinsler's at second, and Moreland at first. Yep. But again, when the lefties come in, those are the guys playing. But against the righty, those, it's not always the case. So Bogarts is really your one definitive starter. It's just, it blows my mind that you can be this good with this team and have, you know, not a set infield. And I would say Moreland maybe is in a little bit different of a category because he probably played a little bit more than Steve Pierce did. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said, to have those platoon guys that can step in and contribute at that high level. Because remember, this is. This is a 100-plus win team here, and they need to contribute like they're 100-plus win players. So the fact that they're able to do this in the platoon style that they have it just shows how deep this lineup is, that Cora's got these pieces he could play matchups with and, and put in against different pitchers, and it, it just, going forward for them, that's a big help. Yeah, and I'll let you talk about your guy, the Brock star, in a minute. Oh, Brocktober. Brocktober, baby. But what I want to bring up real quick, too, 
right? What strikes me most about kind of that series, the way that Yankee series ended, was just so you got a whole team contribution in that series. You needed most of your team to be good. Most of the guys on the team were pretty good in that series. That's why you won it, and it's why you won it in four games, not in five. But what stands out to me is that last play to end the game. Nunez comes sprinting in. Nunez is not a great fielder, but he's giving it everything he's got 100% coming in there to just even get the ball and then transfer over from the glove to the hand, make that throw, sling it across the diamond. Granted, he's not very good accuracy-wise, but to still be able to make that play, put his teammate in a position on the other end to pick him up, make that play. What a fucking stretch from Steve Pierce. That was just phenomenal. That was incredible. We were going nuts watching the game, and it's just everything you need to be a good team in the playoffs, that play sums up right there. You know, sure, you know, the pitching might always not get it done. Yeah. But if you have guys to pick you up, like Nunez to get to that ball, and like Pierce on the other end to make that stretch, that's a championship play right there. Yeah, and my dad likes to joke because I always ask him. When we first got Nunez, I said, oh, well, where does he play? And my dad always said, oh, anywhere in, in, in the infield. He can make errors anywhere. But, <laughs> I mean, when when you have to make a play like that, that just shows the kind of character, the kind of player that he is. Like you said, able to just sprint, and I think he hurt his knee after it or something. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he put that ball in a spot that Pierce could get to it, like you said, incredible. Unbelievable. And that's the kind of production they need from these platoon guys, and they're getting it. Yeah. Not a great throw by any stretch of the no. imagination. <laughs> no, but let's he not did, pretend he it is. It. it didn't yeah. end up in the stands. Pierce was able it was to a playable make the play. ball. Yeah. Playable, yeah. yeah. That's a very good Yeah, we'll, for we'll call it playable. Playable. Yeah. Yeah. I have to mention here, Ian, is... It's Brocktober. It's officially Brocktober. That guy, first postseason cycle in the history of Major League Baseball. And granted, the home run was off Romine, but I don't really care about that. He he produced. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily the fact that he got the cycle. It's a cool moment, you know. And especially when you're up like that in the game, I think it was 14-1, to and then he hit the home and make <laughs> yeah. it 16. Yeah. So, I mean, at that point, you're kind of going for those statistical, you know, cool feats. Right. But I think it's what the cycle says about it, right? So it's the fact that... Brock Holt makes his first start this year in the playoffs. And like we were saying, those platoon guys in the infield, for him to be able to just come in and produce, it doesn't matter that he had the cycle. Yeah. If he had a homer in two doubles and a single, I'm taking that. Absolutely. You know, the fact that he was able to get all four to complete that feat, very cool, phenomenal. But it just goes to show what a player he is. He's a grinder. To be able to do that, it was pretty cool. Yeah, and it's not like you put in this platoon guy and he goes maybe one for four with a base hit or something or 0 for four, pops out four times or whatever it is he got hits he got doubles he got a triple he got a home run he Mm -hmm. did it all and that's what you need again from these platoon guys for the red sox yeah and to be able to do it again like we were saying in that game right against severino on the mound to start off that's a must-win game for the red sox much more than it is for the new york yankees yeah because if you're the yankees you lose that game you know which they did 16 to 1 no (laughs) big deal but you lose that game that's a lot of damage so much damage (laughs) yeah brock holt did a lot of damage that (laughs) night he did but, so if you're the Yankees, right, you lose that game, you come back the next day, you have CC Sabathia, one of the most accomplished, you know, active pitchers out there, Yeah. and you're in your stadium, you know, granted, that is not how you wanted that last game to go, but if you're a team that has grit and, you know, 100 wins too, they've got talent, they could have easily come back the next night and won. So, you know, if they had lost that game, which they did, it wasn't the end of the world for them. If the Sox did, their season's probably over. Not yeah. to say they wouldn't have come back, but... You know, it wouldn't have been easy for him. But so for the fact that, to get back on topic, right? for Holt to be able to do that in that Game 3, which is about as must-win of a game as there ever is, really, in a Game 3 of Especially an Especially because LDS. Price just lost you that last game. Mm-hmm. And now you're in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, the momentum was certainly trending downward. Yeah. 
And Brocktober <laughs> brought it back up. Just launched it up. Incredible. All right. So now that we're feeling good about ourselves, great series win against the Yankees, let's uh, come back down to earth a little bit. So one negative about the Red Sox I want to start with is not probably where most people would start. Most people probably focus on the pitching. Craig Kimbrell, David Price, deservedly so. Yeah. Not great in that series. But I'm going to start on the offensive side of things. Mookie Betts has got to get going, Zan. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. And he's batting 188 right now. That's not what you want from the best player in baseball. No, that's not damage. Yeah, that's not damage at all. That's not what their shirts say. Um, this was his first RBI in the postseason. He has two right now, and that's it. He's yep. played three years. You yep. have his batting average pulled up, right? Yeah. So Mookie Betts in the playoffs career, 11 games, four extra base hits. They're all doubles. Two RBI. He's walked six times, struck out nine times, which it's all right. 238 batting average, 333 on base percentage, 333 slugging percentage. And that brings you up for the OPS to a measly 667. Not good for the best player in baseball. Not good at all for the best player in baseball. And this is a guy who's been 346 on the year with a 438 on base percentage with over 1,000 OPS. His offensive war was 8.7 this year. And you're telling me this guy can't go into the postseason and hit 270? Like, I don't know what's going on with him. Mm -hmm. Alex Cora actually said something the other day that I really hold to be true too, and it makes sense, but in the playoffs, there's a fine line, and you really just got to find a way to be above that line. So he was saying he doesn't really like to look at the averages and stuff in um, in the playoffs because, the, you know, the difference between a guy hitting 200 and 300 is one swing. Right. Which makes all the sense in the world. But, again, it's this is the third year now of Mookie not being great in the playoffs. So granted, last year in the loss to Houston in the four games, Mookie hit 313. He went five for 16. And now this year, after that first round, he was three for 16, which is 188. So, you know, the difference right there between – 313 and 188 is two hits. But even still, the extra base hits haven't been there, and I think that's what's kind of the most concerning thing for me. Yeah, also he's there's a couple strikeouts that are just really bad, not Mookie-esque type balls that he would swing at because in terms of people in the league, he's right up there, like 99th percentile, according to ESPN, of which pitches he swings at. Mm. Which yeah, means very that, selective. Yeah, which means that he pretty much only swings at balls that are in the strike zone. And you're just seeing him get, I don't know, confused, caught, maybe. I'm not going to say it's the pressure because this guy's a great player, but he's just got to find a way to to hit the ball, I guess, or, or to maybe draw some walks, get some confidence. Mm -hmm. For sure. I think Mookie's going to be fine because, again, I think kind of similarly to Cora in the playoffs, good players produce eventually. You know, yep. Peyton Manning won one eventually. You know, LeBron eventually came through for his guys in the finals, I think. You know, if you're that good, eventually the talent takes over at some point, and I think that's what's going to happen, hopefully, for David Price. <laughs> Knock on wood, we'll see. But I think for Mookie Betts, too, especially, the guy's too good to be kept down for this long. But I think that's kind of why people are getting frustrated, because you mentioned eventually it's going to happen. The guy had 16 at-bats. You know, it's 16 at-bats for the best player in baseball, and you're telling me he only got three hits? Yeah. I mean, also, And a couple that, of them were bad strikeouts. Yeah, but also off of that, now i got to defend him. I'm going <laughs> to pull it back a little bit. But again, it's 16 at-bats, like you said. That's not a plethora of a sample size. It's a very small set. He could easily go out there this series and, you know, over his next 16 at-bats, go 8 for 16. And then, right, so then that's 11 for 32. Yeah. And that's, you know, back to his Mookie-type self. Yeah, he could. I'm just, 
I guess what concerned me a lot, though, was some of the pitches that he was swinging at mm-hmm. and some of the strikeouts that he was called on. I think that's more concerning to me than the batting average. Because, like you said, he could hit two more balls and mm-hmm. be right up to 300. Yeah, totally fair. Yeah, but it was just the type of swings and the pitches he was swinging at that kind of got me a little concerned. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, especially if this lineup is going to produce and beat Houston, and I think the offense is the key in this series as we kind of yeah. transition now towards talking about Houston a little bit more. I think the offense is going to have to carry you more so than the pitching because that Houston lineup's pretty good. <laughs> so probably you're going to have to win more offensive-type games than you would normally in the playoffs. And if Mookie's not going, again, I think one through four in that lineup are very solid between Betts, Benintendi, JD, and Bogarts. That's a phenomenal group. The platoon guys at the bottom, I'm not so sure about. Granted, they did it last series against New York, but we'll see as we keep progressing along. It's just those aren't the stud-type guys in the lineup, whereas you need your studs in October to do well. Right, and that's what we were talking about. You know, this is a 108-win team, and for the platoon guys, they have to play like it. But in the playoffs, you need that, like you said, that one through four, which is really the the meat and potatoes of your lineup. You need those guys to do well. And then you hope, obviously, that the platoon guys carry their weight, you know, and and act like they're a 100-win team. Mm -hmm. But you really need it from the top four. Correct, yeah. If you're the platoon guys, you know, at the bottom of the order... You know, you're just basically trying to put together good at-bats, you know, get on base. Yeah. You you aren't the guys to, you know, necessarily do the damage. If you do, that's great. But if not, you're trying to get on base, work the pitchers, and really, you know, be carried by those top four guys in the order. And granted, those are very good players like Kinsler and Holt yeah. and all of them. Yeah. So it's not like they need to be carried. But again, they're not close to what JD is. They're right. not close to what Mookie is. You know what I'm saying. Absolutely. I know what you're saying. And but So right now, they've done their job. And I think we have to just assume that going forward, they're going to do their job. Mm-hmm. So we should look at it that way. And if they do their job, I think they can beat the Houston Astros. And if they're going to beat the Houston Astros, Xander, let so. me tell you, <laughs> David Price, Greg Kimbrell, uh, they're going yeah. to need to be a lot, a lot, a lot. We've got a couple more. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot better in this next series. I think you missed a hundred of lots in there. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah. That'll suffice for now. Right. Yeah, David Price, he hasn't won a uh, postseason game yet. And he was good out of the bullpen last year against the Astros. Mm-hmm. I'll give him that. He was good. And, you know, maybe a couple of those games he should have, he has two postseason losses technically coming out of the bullpen. I don't really give him the loss because he pitched well. But he's got to find a way to just, throw strikes and not hang that cutter over the middle of the plate and just let people smash it because that's what happens you miss on your location and it just goes right over the middle and Sanchez is watching it as it goes over the monster mm-hmm. yeah as so as for that Yankee start right the homer he gives up in the first inning to judge doesn't matter yeah it's the Yankees regardless of your David Price if you're Chris Sale whoever you are they're you're not going to shut them out probably they're going to get a couple runs so all right solo shot no big deal I, I was saying, you know, watching the game, what's going to be more important and more telling is the second inning. So you give up that one, right? One run, right? Yes. But how are you going to limit the damage after that? Mm-hmm. And even though because we're the ones that are doing damage, no one else can I know. do damage. What is this about? Yeah, yeah, we're the damage people here. I know. But so, anyways, so then the next inning, Gary Sanchez hits that homer, and I didn't think that was a terrible pitch by Price. I think he got the spot he wanted. I just think Sanchez was also looking for it, and he's a pretty good hitter. And especially, he's kind of been the guy to have David Price's number. So I'm giving more of the credit on that to Gary Sanchez. I don't know. Granted, I think... everyone's going to blame Price. But yeah. I think on that pitch specifically, Sanchez 
I I'm think he just missed the, the spot, cap on though. That. I mean, that's just a bad pitch location for me. That's like a cutter over the middle of the plate. But it's still the outer outer half of the plate. Uh, it's, it's cutting back towards the middle, but it's still the outer. I just think Sanchez is a big, strong enough guy to be able to do that. But just let, okay. me, let me finish because uh, yeah, sure. I'm going to get on Price right now. Okay. Because the part I cannot stand is when David Price then proceeds to walk Brett Gardner, the subsequent batter, and then gives up the big hit to McCutcheon that knocks him out of the game. Yeah. You cannot, cannot, cannot be walking people in the playoffs. Especially, I know guys like Brett Gardner are so pesky, and that's, oh, he's my least favorite player ever. Because <laughs> he just, he grinds. And if he was on the Sox, I'd love him. Yeah. He's a grinder. He's a fighter. You know when he gets to two strikes, he's fouling off four pitches before something happens. Right. So if you're David Price, you've got to pound the zone, pound the zone, pound the zone. Make him beat you. Because guess what? If you're throwing balls, you can't get outs. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. You just can't get outs if you're throwing balls. Yep. So for you to walk the next two guys and then give up the hit, that's what screws you. That's what does you in. It's not giving up those two solo homers. Because guess what? It's a solo homer. There's no one on base. Two runs. You think the Sox offense can score two runs? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you bet your ass they can. But when you're walking people and it leads to the rallies and, oh, my gosh, everything after that, that's what you can't do. And that's what just stunned me because even after he gave up the homer to Sanchez, I was like, He's going to settle in. He'll be fine. He'll get through five or six. It, he'll give up maybe another run. But when you walk people, you just... Yeah. You're digging your own grave. No, you are. Especially in the playoffs. A leadoff walk is like a death sentence. Because mm-hmm. they're going to maybe steal a base. A hit and run's going to be on. Before you know it, the guy's on second and a pot fly maybe gets him to the third. And then a single drives him in. Or mm-hmm. a single gets him to third, pot fly drives him in. Yep. So it's just digging your own grave, like he said. And even with Price in the walks in the second inning right there... What makes that even worse is he walked those guys with two outs. Yep. So it was back-to-back two-out walks and then the hit. Yep. So, again, there's two outs. You throw the ball over the plate. Is Brett Gardner going to homer? <laughs> Guess what? He's probably not one of those guys in the Yankee lineup that is going to, you know, hit those bomb, hit those homers. So for you to not be able to get those balls over, and I know it's a tough game. If it was easy, everyone could do it. But if you're David Price, you have to be able to get that done right there and just throw strikes. Yeah, you do. It's... Credit to Cora, I guess, for taking him out. Mm. But like, if you're David Price, you gotta think about what you were saying about oh, I'm gonna come in here to Boston, I'm gonna win a playoff game. You know what he was saying at the beginning of the season. You gotta shut up and just do it. Mm-hmm. You know you gotta you gotta pitch some strikes. You gotta be David Price. I don't think he's a big strikeout guy, but when he's on, he's on. And there's a difference between striking out a lot of people and good pitching. Yeah, especially at this point now in his career when he's not throwing 97-98. Yeah. He's still going to pick up the strikeouts because he's still a pretty good pitcher, but it's not at the rate he once did when he was with Tampa throwing gas. Yeah, but like I said, you don't have to do that. You just need to pitch well. Like I don't care if you don't have 10-plus strikeouts if you have like only three strikeouts, but if you're pitching well, there's a difference there. And people can see it, and he just, in my opinion, didn't pitch well. Pitch well. You heard it here first. That's what David Price needs to do going yeah. forward. I think we've broken something wide open. Shocker. we, we got to call Cora right up. I know. Tell him, hey, we need to alert the media here. Run that pitch well play. Yeah. I heard it works pretty good. Yeah. I'm surprised the Boston Globe hasn't picked up the story. I know. He just needs to pitch well, guys. Of course. All right, so moving on. So, Xander, you just kind of mentioned Alex Cora right there. That's yeah. a very nice segue right there. Nicely oh. done, Xander. No, thank you, Ian. Nicely done. It's almost like I know what we're going to talk about. Crazy, huh? <laughs> it's like you got the rundown of exactly what we were going to go through in this episode. <laughs> so, anyways, so Alex Cora, that was his first, I think, real test of the season. Yeah. And it's one thing to manage a team, and it's kind of something that the media has kind of talked about ad nauseum at this point. It's one thing to manage a team, manage egos in the regular season, and now – it's the playoffs, so it's not 
about managing those egos. It's about the tactical moves, the in-game managing, which, again, if they won 108 games this year, there weren't many times in the season when you could second-guess them because they were winning all the time. Right. Yeah. So now in these playoff games where everything's on the line, you're under the microscope, it's going to be interesting to see how Cora's handles everything, and I think he's done a pretty good job so far. Yeah, I, I just thought of this. I think the biggest positive that I can think of, twofold. One, the base running. I love it. The aggressiveness on the base paths, even against Gary Sanchez, who has a very good arm, just saying, you know, we're going to steal this base and there's nothing you can do about it. And then moving guys over. And then the bunting. I can't remember a Red Sox team that successfully bunted in like the last five years. Mm-hmm. I remember they tried it last year and we talked about it. They just need to stop bunting. But th- there was a couple good bunts, I think, this series and really helped the team. Yeah, Ben Intendi. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Very impressed. <laughs> Extremely impressed. And so between that and the base running and... And that's on Corey. You know, that's on the coaches to tell him, all right, let's go steal this base and then have a confidence in the guys to be able to move him over and get out to that quick lead. I'm giving him credit for that. That's mm-hmm. big. That's aggressive base running, and they're going to need that going forward. Yeah, for sure, without a doubt. And also one thing that I really liked from Alex Cora was the fact that he managed the bullpen pretty well. Yeah. That bullpen's not great. They're not terrible, but if you mix it well enough, I think you can put yourself as a team in a position to succeed and get those outs, get those, you know, key outs in those big moments and I think Corey did a good job of doing that and I think one thing that I really want to give him credit for and I didn't see it coming in the slightest was his ability to use Rick Porcello and Chris Sale as the eighth inning guys I don't think anyone saw that coming no absolutely not that's that's great though yeah especially Chris Sale I I was with a I was watching the game with some of my friends and they were all nervous about Chris Sale coming in for the eighth Personally, for me, I thought that was great. This guy's your best pitcher. I don't like the the crap that people say, oh, he's a starting pitcher, he can't pitch in relief. The dude's your best pitcher. He's there to throw the ball. He's there to pitch. Like, get him. Pitcher's pitch, man. Get that dude on the mound. Let him throw that backdoor slider, and let him just get people looking. He's your best pitcher. Probably one of your best players. Mm -hmm. Put him in the game. Use him as a weapon. And I love that Cora did it. Yeah, he did a great job with that, and I think it's something – that Dombrowski kind of alluded to um, towards the end of the regular season, him saying uh, that the bullpen you've seen in September is not the bullpen you're going to see in October. Yeah. And I think it's a big difference, especially, right, the roster's expanded, you have more guys up, and guess what? Pomerantz isn't the guy blowing the game now. Yeah. He's not on the roster, just guys like that who weren't as good, and now it's even you have guys on the roster, but they're not pitching in those key moments. You're really going to focus in, dial in, hit your best players out there in those key moments. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Using Rick Porcello and then coming in with, you know, <laughs> we came in with Kimbrel. We we came up. I was gonna say we came in with Sale to set up Kimbrel, but we should have stuck with Sale. Um, I think you coined the phrase "cardiac Craig," right? I don't think I coined that one, but that one's around. Yeah. Um, I like to call him the human heart attack. The human That's heart attack. One. Yeah. But there's a lot of different uh, names for Kimbrel. I think he's going to be fine. I think that's yeah. just you know two tough games for him. He's been pretty good this year, not great. But when you walk people, again, it's a death sentence. That's especially in the playoffs. You can't walk people because then the the atmosphere, the the pressure. It's different between all right. I just walk the guy in the regular season, and all right, I just walk the guy in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Totally different. And two, it's going to be interesting, right? About Kimbrel. So he's not that reliever, that Andrew Miller type of guy who's going to go out there and pitch multiple innings in the playoffs. So, all right, we've established that he really can't do that, and if he does it, he doesn't do it with very much success. Right. If he's not going to be that type of weapon, 
then you really have to go in there for your one inning and lock it down. You can't be walking people. You have to go in there and really dial in a quick one, two, three. Because, again, you're out there for presumably three batters. You have to nail them down, mow them down, and be automatic for that one inning you're out there. And, again, uh, like I said earlier with the starting pitchers, there's a difference between getting a lot of strikeouts and pitching well. And you can still pitch well if you don't get a lot of strikeouts. But he wasn't pitching well. He was throwing balls. Like you said earlier, you can't get outs if you're throwing balls. Missing the plate, curveballs in the dirt, not getting anyone to swing and miss. So he wasn't pitching well. That was the issue. Not that he wasn't getting the strikeouts, but he wasn't he wasn't attacking the plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just did not have the feel for it. Yeah. And hopefully he does when the Houston Astros come to town. This is a little bit of a redemption matchup this year for Boston. Last year, Houston knocked these Red Sox out of the playoffs. But this year, the Sox are playing just as well as Houston. And Houston somehow has kept up that level that they had last year into the World Series. They kept it all through the regular season, and they rolled throughout the first round of their playoff matchup. Yeah, it seemed like maybe because we've just been focusing so much on the Red Sox, who won 108 games, but the Astros won 103. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I didn't even hear about that. It's a pretty quiet 103, and they're that good of a team. And I think they have the advantage in the bullpen, so it's gonna be a, it's going to be a matchup. Yeah, I think they're a tough team. And one thing, too, so their World Series proven now. Yeah, they are. All those guys, you know, granted, for example, Marvin Gonzalez, he's a pretty good player. He's not that great, but he had some big moments for him last year in the playoffs. He's a guy who's come up in situations, and, you know, whether it's Marvin Gonzalez or Yuli Gurriel or McCann, Maldonado, some of those lesser-known guys, but they're pretty good. They've gotten the job done before in the playoffs, and they can do it again, regardless of how they've done so far this year in the playoffs. Yeah, I totally agree. And... That rotation that they have of Verlander, Cole, Keuchel, Morton, that is scary if you're a Red Sox fan. And you got to think you can get to them with this team that we got, but if good pitchers are pitching well, then it's hard for the hitters to do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. So I think that's going to be one of the toughest things the Red Sox have to deal with is that killer rotation of Verlander, Cole, Keuchel, Morton. That's a tough group right there. And then you throw McCullers in the bullpen for good measure now because you don't need the five starters. Right. On top of the fact that they have Osuna and Sip and just, it goes on and on. Just so many guys out there that can pitch. Yeah, a lot of guys that can pitch. For the Red Sox, it seems like it's more of just that offensive juggernaut. Because when you think about the Red Sox team, you think this just, it's like an unstoppable force meets the immovable object. You know, who's going to break first? Are the Red Sox going to be able to hit or the pitcher's going to be able to just pitch and not let them hit? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And I'm super excited for this series. Quite frankly, I have no idea how this is going to go. I kind of have that thought, that prediction that we'll get into at the end. It's a quick little tease for you. (laughs) But I have a thought of how this series is going to go, but if it went a million different ways, like it could go any of those ways, and I wouldn't be surprised just because these are two very good teams and anything can happen in October. Yeah, two great teams. And just taking a step back as a, a fan of baseball, this is going to be a hell of a series. Great matchup. Far better than the one out in the NL. Granted, it'll be pretty cool to see you know, Manny Machado on the big stage, Christian Yelich, the likely MVP out there. The Brew Crew. The Brew Crew, Travis Shaw, Mr. Mayor, yeah. all those guys. That's a yep. fun team out there. The Dodgers, you know, trying to get back to the World Series, avenge their loss. Yep. So that'll be pretty cool just for baseball too. But I think if you're a baseball fan, this is the series you're focusing on. Yeah, absolutely. Two 100-plus win teams, that's something. Doesn't happen very often. Does not happen very often. And <laughs> the crazy thing is that one of these teams has to lose. Mm-hmm. One of them's going to go home. One of them already has gone home. Well, one of them has gone home, yes. Who would that be? Uh, I don't know. The Yankees lose. You're right. Yeah. You are right. (laughs) 
I love those things. David Ortiz, him and um, A-Rod actually made a uh, side bet, so I think A-Rod has to come dressed up in a full Red Sox uniform now, come to one of the games or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah, they made a bet. Oh, that'll TV. be good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. But, yeah, getting back into the Houston Astros, look, just looking at the position players, I think the Red Sox have the advantage. It's just, for me, it's the worries, the, the rotation and the pitching. Mm-hmm. That's the worry for me. So those positional breakdowns are something we're going to get to now. We're going to run through both teams, the depth charts, position by position, who we like in each spot. And so we can start with the pitching, which is what you just mentioned. Yep. The starting rotation, I think we're both taking Houston here. Yeah, as a whole, we're taking Houston. I think we're both pretty much agreed on that. Mm-hmm. And Unless I think, you could piss, pitch Chris Sale four but, times in yeah. four games. but. And I think, I guess the one difference here, too, is... So all those four guys for Houston are very, very good, and they're better than the Red Sox. Yeah. But that doesn't mean the Red Sox pitchers can't pitch well. I still yeah. think they can. And, again, like we've seen with Evaldi and Porcello, they've already had some good playoff starts. So it wouldn't surprise me, again, if they outdueled them in some games. Mm-hmm. But far and away, if you're just looking at it from the talent perspective, which we are, that Houston rotation is far superior. Yeah, I think you'd. I think anybody who's not just brainwashed by this Red Sox team has to say that, yeah, you have to give the starting pitching to uh, – Houston. Mm-hmm. What are you saying for the bullpen, though? Uh, for the bullpen, it's just so so shaky. And uh, granted, I think they pitched pretty well against the Red Sox, but I'm gonna have to give it to Houston. I'm still taking Houston. Yeah. I just think again they have more guys who are battle tested. They're proven. And if that's kind of been a big thing for us, is all right. You know, it doesn't matter. I guess at this point, like how much experience you have in the playoffs. Sure, it'd be nice to have it, but it's how well are you throwing the ball right now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, And granted, the Red Sox bullpen has been pretty good, but the Houston bullpen has been just as good, if not better, over there. And again, those are proven guys battle-tested, and that's where you kind of give them the plus, the extra notch, and that's why I'd go Houston as well. And yeah, like you could say, oh, but you could put Chris Sale in the bullpen, have him pitch. Well, yeah, but the Astros can put Verlander in there too. Mm-hmm. So it, it comes down to that, and I think for pitching as a whole, I think we're both in agreement that we're going to give it to Houston. Mm-hmm. So for catchers. What are you thinking, Brian McCann and Martin Maldonado? Or are you going with the Sox trio of Leon, Vasquez, and Swihart? I don't even know if you can include Swihart in the conversation because I don't think he's really going to play that much. But Leon, I will say, was very valuable in terms of his defense. Very good behind the plate. Very good behind the plate. And I think a lot of the pitchers on the Red Sox talk about how well he manages a game. So for me, that's, that's very important, but they just don't hit. There's, it's almost like an automatic out. There's no production. And, yeah, I know Vasquez, he was hitting pretty well in that last game. Um, but I just, going forward, I, I don't see him keeping that up. So he was betting 333 that last series. But I, he just didn't do that all year. I think that's a fluke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I don't think the Sox catchers can hit yeah. very well. I mean, they, they're capable of moments, as is any Major League Baseball player yeah. breaking through. Absolutely. But I'm still going to take the Red Sox trio because of that defense. I know Brian McCann's a good defensive catcher over there, and you know he's been a very good offensive catcher in the past. But at this point in his career, he's not that great. Maldonado's nothing special either. And I'm taking what I've seen more often, day in, day out, seeing how guys like Vasquez and Leon can control a running game, can manage a pitching staff. And then also, every once in a while, get that hit. So I'm going with the Sox catchers. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think you could make the argument both ways, but I just don't think they're going to be able to keep up that hitting production. And 
defense isn't going to help you win a game if you're a catcher. Like, you need to produce. Mm-hmm. First base, Yuli Gurriel or Pierce and Moreland? I don't know. I like my guy Moreland. I'm saying this one's a wash. I think both have their advantages. I think more consistently on the offensive side, Gurriel's better. I think, granted, you can get similar production with Moreland or Pierce. It's just it's not it's not coming from that one one source because again it's kind of a platoon over there but I think the defense is much better on the Red Sox side of things Pierce is a pretty good defender Moreland's a goal glover so if I'm going for defense I'd take the Sox first base but Houston you know Gurriel can hit over there but I don't know I think it's I think it's a toss-up I think I think I'm taking the Red Sox just because yeah Gurriel can hit but he's only batting 182 I think right now in the postseason and Pierce and Moreland are both above 300. They're both playing good defense. So just the way they're playing now, I'm going to give it to the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what I like about that too is you can mix and match because it's you know, kind of the lefty versus righty yeah. situation. But Gurriel is a good player over there too. I think that's why I'm a little bit more hesitant to give the Sox the definitive edge. Okay. But one spot where we know a definitive edge is is second base. Altuve. Oh, it's Ken, I mean, Ken, not Ken no, it's no, not Ken, oh. no, no, no. I'm sorry. Oh. As much as I want to stick up for my namesake over there, Ian. Yeah. But it's it's Altuve. We don't need to talk about this. Yeah. The guy's a stud. Yeah, he's unbelievable. Let's just move on. <laughs> Shortstop. This one is, I think, the most interesting of the bunch, though, and I think this is one where most people in baseball, especially coming into this year, pick Correa far and away. Right. But I'm a Bogarts guy. I've been a Bogarts guy his whole career. I think he belongs in that top-tier shortstops with Correa, with Lindor, with Seager. I think you know he's in that echelon. Granted, he hasn't put together that full season. This year he did. Mm-hmm. But up until now, it's kind of been a good first half or a good second half. Now you're finally seeing him healthy. I think he's a good defender as well. Can hit. I'm going with Bogarts over Correa because Correa, he didn't have a great year. Sam, you want to know his numbers? Yeah, I do actually. He hit 239. 15 homers, 65 RBI. That's not a stud shortstop. Last time I checked. Not a stud shortstop. Very good player. Had a great season the year before, but this past year, not his best. And especially we're talking, you know, track record. What does it mean? At this point, I want to see the guy playing well, performing well, and that's Xander Bogarts, even though Correa might have a little bit more of impressive, you know, numbers in the past. And this is against Bogarts, who hit 288 this year, 103 RBIs, and 23 home runs. It's pretty good. That's that's not bad. No. And he his total bases two sixty eight. Mm-hmm. That's Solid. that's a lot of total bases. I like it. Yeah. So I'm I'm with you on this one. I'm taking Bogarts. I've been a big fan of his. And like you said in the past, yeah, maybe Correa. But right now, how they're how they're playing, how they're producing, I'm taking Bogey all day. Same. So over to third base, last infield spot, Alex Bregman. I think this that's isn't really a no contest yet again. Yeah. Nunez Devers, serviceable, not great, but yeah. Bregman's a stud. I don't like Bregman at all. I think he's so cocky, but, <laughs> man, if he was on the Sox, I'd love him. Oh, absolutely. You'd love him. His hand speed is, like, up there with Mookie Betts. Mm-hmm. So. To the outfield, you know, whatever they got in left field, Tony Kemp, Marlon Gonzalez, whoever you're throwing out there, Benny Biceps all day. Benny Biceps, Benny Boyfriend, whatever you want to call him. Yep. Yeah, Ben Tober, if you just want to throw. No, no. No, we'll stick wanna... with Brocktober. We'll stick with Brocktober. All right. But, yeah, Andrew Benintendi, I I think he's overshadowed by the fact that people are like, oh, this guy's a 330 hitter when he's first coming up, and they had all these high expectations for him. 
but he's still really good. Yeah, he had a very good season. Yeah, very good season. Started off slow, picked it up, ended with good counting numbers, good uh, averages. Yeah, absolutely. He he did, and so I'm taking Benintendi all day long. Same. And then moving over to center field, JBJ's got some defense, but it's far and away, again, George Springer. Yeah, when you have a guy that produces like Springer does, especially because he's hitting, I think, over 400 right now in the postseason, mm-hmm. and what he can do, the, the damage that he can do, you have to take him. But yeah, He hits some bombs. He hits some moonshots. But if I want some guy out there, now this isn't an argument for JBJ because I'm taking Springer, but if I want some guy out there that has to run down a ball with a 2% catch chance, I'm taking JBJ. Yeah, Bradley's my guy. Yeah. So next two spots I think are also kind of easy. Right field DH, it's Mookie and JD. Yeah. I mean, Josh Reddick, you're kind of cool. Tyler White, Evan Gaddis, congrats. Pretty good players, but you're not two of the best players in baseball. Sorry. Yep, you're just not. And the production that... And we're thinking Mookie Betts is, like, arguably the best player in the game. Mm-hmm. He's right up there with Trout. This year he had the better season than Trout. That's why I called him the best player in the game. But. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And uh, so we're going to see. But, yeah, i definitely give it to Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez. Analysis right there. Analysis. That's some That's some hard, hard analysis. Yep. Believe it or not, Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez are actually, in fact, better than Josh Reddick and Tyler White. Who would have thought? Breaking news here on Sox Talk. <laughs> Who would have thought? All right, so to close this on out, the way I have it written out, I wrote down kind of as we were going through marking it saying point for Houston, point for the Red Sox. Yep. Houston comes up with five wins. The Sox come up with five wins. And then I say they tie at first base. So that's pretty even to me. I know you had some differing opinions, but you mm-hmm. liked. Um, I liked our first base, and I thought their catchers their were better. Their catchers were better. So, again, yeah. it's very tight either way. But, Again, like you were saying earlier, someone's got to lose in this series. Someone's got to win. Who do you think's moving on to the World Series, and who's going to be the ALCS MVP? So the name of our show is Sox Talk, and I'm not going to sit here and say to the people, oh, well, I think the Astros are going to win the series. I just can't do it. Especially I can't do it because of this 108-win Red Sox team, because of the way they fought, because of what they showed against the Yankees, because of that grit, because of Cora, how he manages the games. I'm taking the Red Sox. I don't think it's going to be easy. I think we're going to be pulling our hair out by the end of it, and we're going to have miniature heart attacks because of this. But I'm taking the Red Sox. I think it'll take them six games to do it. I don't think it'll go seven. I think they can close it out before that. But when it's all said and done, I think this Red Sox team can pull it off. Who is the LCS MVP? (laughs) I'm going to go Mookie Betts. I think he turns it around. I think he was the most opposite of an MVP in the divisional series against the Yankees. But I think just like what we saw in the uh, in spring training where he went 0 for like 40 and then he just turned it on, I think he's going to turn it on. Great players find a way to be great. They find a way to win, and mm-hmm. I think he's going to do it. Yeah, let's hope you're right. So, like you, I would pick Houston if I thought they were going to win, despite the name of the show. Yeah. And I'm pretty close to picking Houston. But, I, again, I don't think I'm going to do it. And I think because of what you said, the Sox, you know, they won their 108. I think it just that means something. This team is having a phenomenal year, and I think they're going to keep it going to the World Series. And I think what's going to be the deciding factor is going to be the home field advantage, playing that one extra game in Fenway Park, because I'm taking the Red Sox in seven games. I think this is going to be a battle. This whole series, it's going to be a grind. Like you said, we're going to be mini heart attacks, pulling our hair out. But yeah. in the end, I think the Sox will get it done. And I'm going to go with Andrew Benintendi as the ALCS MVP. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I can see it. And really quickly, I want to hear your thoughts. What are the keys to to victory for both teams? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Offensively, the Red Sox have to produce. I think that's their key to this series. 
can they hit that dominant Houston staff? It kind of reminds me, actually, of 2013 when it was the Tigers and that dominant staff, when it was guys like Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, you know, Doug Fister, Animal Sanchez, whatever else they had throwing over there, that good pitching. So can they hit that Houston staff, I think, is going to be the Sox key. And then on the other side of things, I think Houston's going to pitch pretty well, so it's going to be can they keep their top three in the order hot? Is Bregman and Springer and Altuve, are they going to keep producing like they have? Because if they do, Houston's going to the World Series. Yeah, I think that's good analysis, and we're going to find out. We're going to find out. Yeah. And, Zan, that's going to do it for the first official episode of Sox Talk. How do you think it went? Oh, boy. I'm just... This was awesome, honestly, and this was great. I think we did well. Uh, If anyone has suggestions, obviously, you could leave comments. You could rate us. Yeah, rate us. Five stars, definitely. We want those five-star ratings. I mean, you could do one star, but who likes that? There's no fun in that. What's the point of that? Just rate us the five stars. Yeah, it'll be better for everyone. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for the first initial episode of Sox Talk. For Ian Vicera, I'm I'm Xander Montano. That would be me. That would be you. (laughs) We'll work on the outro. We've got time. This is only episode one, and that's going to do it. Thanks, everyone. Thank <laughs> you.